go. All right, thank you. Chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 in your Bibles. We're going to continue our series of what we believe. Looking at our church statement of faith and comparing it, obviously, using the Word of God to verify some of these things. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. As we begin, it says this, Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, or Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Father, bless these moments in your word together as we continue to examine uh, these core truths from your word. Give us understanding and encouragement from it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heard about three preachers. They went out fishing. One was a Methodist preacher, one was a Pentecostal preacher, one was a Baptist preacher. And uh, you can have friendships outside, you know. But anyway, so they went fishing together, and, and they were out on the water, and after just a little bit, the, the uh, Methodist preacher said, I forgot my fishing pole. So he stands up, he steps out of the boat, and walks across the shore, gets his pole, and comes back and gets in the boat. Well... It was just pretty amazing for a a sight to see. And after he got back in the boat, the Pentecostal preacher said, I forgot my tackle. So he got out of the boat, he walked, same thing, steps in the water, walks right across the water to the shore, gets his stuff, comes back and gets in the boat. Well, this Baptist preacher, he's thinking, man, oh man, I thought I had faith. And then he said, wait, I've got as much faith as as, uh, the Methodist. I've got uh, as much faith as a Pentecostal faith than they do. So uh, he stood up and he made an excuse. He said, "I, I forgot my lunch. And so he got up and he took a step out and he, Went right down. Well, the other two men helped pull him back up in the boat, and uh, the preacher said, I'm, I'm going to get it. He stepped out, and again, he, he sunk right down. Well, as the other two preachers were helping him back in the boat, one of them said to the other, said, listen, we better tell him where those rocks are before he drowns himself. <laughs> All right, we've talked about a series about what we believe, but not just what we believe, but even more importantly, why we believe what we we need to know here's my connection we need to know where the rocks are okay (laughs) we need to know not only what we believe or what we've been taught or what we've heard but we need to know why we believe what we say we believe Uh, so that when we have to step out of the boat (laughs) we don't sink right that we're on firm footing in regard to our salvation in regard to our doctrine and so uh, we, we need to know where those, where those things are, where, we're, where ideas, our beliefs come from, that they're based upon the Word of God and not just the opinions of men. And so in doing so, we've looked at our, our statement of faith as a church. In the first couple of points, we, we looked at God himself, God, the Godhead last week we looked at. The first week was about the Bible, the Word of God. And so this morning, uh, point three in our Constitution, again, I printed that in your uh, bulletin there so you would have that uh, in front of you. But it says this, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man without ceasing to be God. 
having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, in order that he might reveal God and redeem sinful men. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished our redemption through his death on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice, and that our justification is made sure by his literal, physical resurrection from the dead. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, whereas our high priest, he fulfills the ministry of representative, intercessor, and advocate. Obviously, we're not going to be able to pick that apart too in too much detail in, in one 20-minute or 25-minute sermon here, but, but we want to do hit, hit some of those highlights as we consider this point uh, of, of what we believe about Jesus Christ. But you notice here in, in Matthew chapter 16, again, verse 15, Here's the all-important question, because the way you answer this question will determine where you spend eternity. Verse number 15, Jesus said to them, who, and I'll paraphrase, who do you say I am? <laughs> he asked them, he says, who do men say I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some uh, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus said, okay, what do you say? Who do you say I am? Your answer to that question will determine where you spend eternity, heaven or hell. There's no other choice, friends. That's the only two options. There's no in-between. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son of God hath life. He that believeth not the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so the understanding of who Jesus Christ is, is essential to our salvation. Essential to your salvation. So what does the Bible teach and what do we as a church believe about Jesus Christ? Three things I want to pull out here this morning. First of all, we believe he is, as our statement says, he is the Son of God. The Son of God. Look in Matthew chapter 1. Go back uh, in the same gospel here, but chapter 1. And notice a couple of things here. He is the Son of God. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, having uh, been a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for he... For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And look at verse 21. It says, And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. We notice the miracle of his birth. The miracle of it. Why is it so important that we do not compromise on the virgin birth of Christ? Again, it's, it's under attack, isn't it? As, as many of, our, yeah. of these key doctrines are, but, but obviously one of the key things that, that is under attack, the virgin birth of Christ. Why is it so important that indeed Mary was a virgin and not just a young maiden, as, as uh, some would translate this to be? Why is it so important that, that she was uh, a virgin? Jesus' whole nature, Christ's whole nature and being is at stake. Mm -hmm. if, it, if he were con not conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, he could not have been a sinless sacrifice for you and me. He would have been born in sin. He would have been by nature the child of wrath, as all of us are, being born in a physical birth, a normal physical birth. 
And so it, 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 it's his very nature and our salvation is at stake with this teaching of the virgin birth of Christ. He could not have atoned for our sin if he had not been that perfect, unblemished, without spot, uh, sacrifice for you and for me. Now we just see the miracle of his birth, but we see the meaning of his name. Verse 23, it says they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now we touched on this last week, didn't we? We talked about the Godhead and we talked about the deity of Christ a little bit. But just again, understand, he did not merely resemble God. He was not a God. He was literally God in the flesh. Colossians 2, verse 9, last week we looked, it says, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Not some, not most. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And what he is, by the way, will never change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But Thomas, you remember, there's so many places we go here, but Thomas cried out. You recall when he saw the nail prints, he said, My Lord and my God. And again, he was not rebuked. Jesus didn't correct him, didn't rebuke him. Why? Because it was true. Because it was true. Last week we saw, uh, look at the verse, Who hath power to forgive sin, but God alone, when Jesus was here on earth, and Jesus received that uh, that title and so all through scripture again Jesus receives he was worshiped and and he receives that title of God in fact God himself you look in, in Hebrews chapter 1 God the father himself calls God the son God theos same word for God that's so what many many places but the meaning of his name Emmanuel God with us God in our midst God in the flesh but not only was he the son of God God in the flesh but he is also the Savior of man. The Savior of man. Verse 21, it says, She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus literally means Jehovah will save. He was the Savior of mankind. Because we are sinners, we could never satisfy a holy God. We could never do enough good to merit his grace and mercy all must come to God the very same way, relying upon the Savior of man. That is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. We come to God the same way as sinners in need of a Savior. He became our Redeemer. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Again, I'm going to put a few verses. I don't normally do this, but I put a few verses on the screen so we don't have to turn to all these verses. We're going to turn to a few. But Hebrews chapter 9, if you would turn there and verse 11... Notice a couple of things here. First of all, he became, as our Savior, he became our Redeemer. Verse 11 of Hebrews 9. It says, but Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once, entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkling to the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He became Amen. our, you notice the contrast here. 
And the, the point of Hebrews, by the way, is to show them that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. All those Old Testament sacrifices, he refers to the blood of goats and, and, and of bulls, they could never take away sin. Now they provided a temporary covering for their sin until the lamb could come, and uh, Christ himself, and, and then all the sacrifices would be fulfilled. And, but notice the contrast here. Notice uh, verse 12, it says, Neither by the blood of goats, by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. His sacrifice is all sufficient. Only took once. Amen. Now, again, the lambs, the blood, the, the, the bulls and goats and, and the lambs that were sacrificed in those days, they had to offer those how often? Every day. Well, once a year was the day of atonement when the high priest would go in and offer the sacrifice. But first he had to offer sacrifice for himself, for his family, for his sin. Jesus didn't have to do that. Yeah. But the high priest would offer his sin and he'd go behind the, the, into the most holy place, behind the, the veil, and offer a sacrifice once a year for the sins of the nation. But every year he would have to do that. And every day people would bring sacrifices for their sins. And it says they were reminded every year, year after year after year, that they were guilty sinners before God. <laughs> but it says Jesus, he entered his own blood, entered in once. Once. Once for all. There's a, a hymn, a song to that, isn't there? <laughs> once for all. Notice also another contrast there. It says, the end of verse 12, once in the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption <laughs> eternal redemption for us versus that temporary covering that we talked about in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 up here it says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus <laughs> there is therefore now no condemnation that word now there by the way it's not sometimes we use the word well it's not raining now it was yesterday but it's not raining now but the word now here is, is a final word. It means from this point forward, now and forever. Now, no longer. For those, again, the verse says, which are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Amen. None. <laughs> he took care of it once for all. We don't have to come back as far as salvation is concerned and say, Lord, save me again, save me again, save me again. We don't have to do that. Why? Because it was once for all. Amen. His sacrifice was sufficient for all and once for all so christ did not simply remove our debt i've made this point before but i think it's an important point to make he didn't just remove it he paid it he paid the price uh, you know when we talk about uh, god's forgiveness it's not that god says okay well don't worry he just writes off our debt and he write off a bad debt well don't worry about it I'll, I'm, I'm, i won't hold you responsible that's not what happened <laughs> what happened was christ literally paid our sin debt paid it in full Paid it in full. He became our redeemer. Peter says we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so there's no other redeemer, no other way to receive forgiveness, redemption, except through Jesus Christ. He became our redeemer. Not only did he become our redeemer, but here in Hebrews we also see he became our mediator. He became our mediator. Go back just a page or two to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Again, in contrast with the Old Testament sacrifices and, and things all led up to this, but Hebrews 7, verse 23. It says, And they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, 
And we go back in verse 22, it's talking about Jesus, just so we understand that. But this man, Jesus, because he continueth ever, forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. He had no successors, <laughs> because there was no need. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For he did this once, this he did once when he offered up himself. But you notice there it says we have a high priest. It says he saves us to the uttermost. Uh, and and the, the passage was on there. But verse 27 again it says, you notice there, uh, he offered up sacrifice first. He did not have to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's, but he offered one sacrifice for us, uh, for all, for us. He interceded for our salvation. He became our mediator, our high priest, the one who, who uh, went into the presence of God behind in the most holy, the, the holy of holies. But he offered himself, his own blood, because it was spotless, because it was perfect. But no one else, just understand, no one else could stand in our place. No one else could bridge the gap between a holy God and sinful man. We know, we know what a, a mediator is, right? Someone who, uh, there's two sides and, and there's, no, there's no agreement, okay? They, they can't uh, come to, to, to terms. And so someone who, who goes in and they understand both sides of the equation, both sides of the situation, and they, they, make a, they do whatever needs done to, to bring those sides together. Jesus Christ. Again, as God, the Son of God, holy, unblemished, but also who became man, he was the only one who could bridge the gap, the perfect, again, holy Son of God. He interceded for our salvation, but something else to understand. It doesn't stop there. The Bible says he intercedes for us today. Amen. And it's because of what he did that we can have direct Fellowship, direct communication with God. We can go to God anytime, day or night. Right. We can go directly to the Father himself because Jesus Christ became our mediator. Heard about a little boy. Uh, well, a pastor was invited over for dinner, and he walked in the living room and uh, asked their little boy who was playing quietly in the middle of the floor what he was doing. And the boy said, shh, I'm having church. The pastor said, oh, he said, and we have to be quiet because all the people are praying. The boy said, no, they're sleeping. <laughs> so wake up. All right. <laughs> he became our mediator. He interceded for our salvation. He intercedes for us today. That's why 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, if any man sin, we have what? An advocate with the Father. An advocate, someone who pleads our case. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the mediator between God and men. We need no human mediator to get to God. Amen. We don't need a priest. We don't need some intermediary, intermediary to, to go between us and God. Christ is that mediator. We go directly to the throne through Jesus Christ. When we confess our sins, Christ pleads our case before God based not upon us, not upon our goodness, not upon uh, anything that we could say or do, but it's based upon, he pleads our case based upon the shed blood of himself. That's why 
God can make the promise found in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Because it's not based on our worthiness for forgiveness. <laughs> uh, it's not based on us, our worthiness to receive it. It's an act of grace based solely upon the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He's the Savior of man as our Redeemer, our Mediator. One more this morning will be done. Thirdly, again, the point is there's more to come. Thirdly, he's the sanctifier of believers. The sanctifiers of believers. And what do you mean? Well, his work's not done Amen. in us. Now, his work on the cross is done. His work of redemption is done. We already covered that. But his work's not done in our lives. We have a blessed hope. And as you turn on the news... As we look and see what's around us these last few months and in these last few days, I'm thankful we have a blessed hope, aren't you? To know that we're not relying upon this world for our comfort, for our encouragement, and for, I mean, we know the, the, the situation around us. We have a blessed hope. The Bible says that he is the author and finisher of our faith. What God starts, he always, always finishes. And so if he started a good work in you, if you know Christ as your Savior this morning, he started that work and he's going to finish that work. No ifs, ands, or buts. He's going to finish that work. We will be made like him. What God starts, he always finishes. He'll complete his work of salvation and deliverance in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the last place we'll turn. If you would turn there and read with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have a blessed hope. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep about death there but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the, the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ or the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality and so when this incorruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ offers victory in distress. We were talking a little bit, uh, trying to come up with a theme for some event or something, but uh, think of those words just for a moment. Christ offers victory in distress. What's that spell? COVID. All right, you get that? All right. Wait. So we're, we're talking about having COVID for a theme for a ladies' event or something. But anyway, but Christ gives victory over Man. sin, over death. He gives us victory. Oh, death, where's thy sting? Oh, grave, where's thy victory? The answer is... Thanks be to God, which gives us a victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We will be sanctified. We will be glorified wholly, completely, for we will be changed. We will be changed. 
One of these days when the trumpet sounds, that's what it says. He's talking about the, the resurrection day. The day when he returns uh, for his church, for his bride, for his saints. It says that we shall all be changed. This corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. And so he will finish what he started. <laughs> we'll be sanctified, glorified, fully holy, for we shall be changed. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the companion, I often uh, refer to as the companion passage here. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 to 18, it says, The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And it says, The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them with the Lord in the air. But then this last phrase is what I'm going to look. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What he starts, he always finishes. And by the way, it says, wherefore, comfort one another <laughs> with these words. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And so the question this morning, as we ponder the, the, the simple truth, uh, and, and again, we, I know we can make it complicated, more complicated than it is sometimes, but the question is not who is Jesus. The scripture's already established that. Yes. The question is, who is Jesus to you? That's right. The question is, what will you do with Jesus? There's one of two options. You can receive him or reject him. Everybody has the same choice, same option. Receive him or reject him. But again, understand there's consequences to your decision. Heaven or hell. And I know, again, people say, and, and we've talked about this, but people say, well, how could a, in fact, there was just here this last week or so, a singer, I think we've talked about this, but uh, of some group that, that all of a sudden decided he no longer believed, and he, maybe some of you read some of that story, but, uh, but and the reason, as I read, the reason was there's, too, there's so much suffering, so much, how could, a, how could a, a loving God do these things? And some people say, how could a loving God send people to hell? You know what the Bible says about that? He doesn't. He doesn't. God does not decree or send anyone to hell. The Bible says they put themselves there because of their own sin. People don't go to hell because God sends them there, but because their own sin sends them. And did you know, by the way, the Bible says God did not even create hell for man. It wasn't his purpose. Jesus himself said he created hell for the devil and his angels. God does not desire a single soul to go to hell. He's not willing that any should perish. One closing verse up here. John 3 verse 17 and verse 18 actually. But it says this. God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come. Jesus himself also reiterated that. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save, right? But he says, God did not send, send out a son of the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is already condemned, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus didn't have to come to condemn anybody. Why? Because we're already condemned in our sin. We're helpless. We're hopeless. Bound for hell. Because of us. He came to offer forgiveness, not condemnation. And this book, I know the world sees this book sometimes, and even some bitter Christians 
see this book as a book of condemnation. They've got it all wrong. <laughs> this is a book of redemption. Amen. A book of forgiveness. A book of salvation. Yes, the, the message of condemnation is there because of sin. But the whole point of this book is God did something about it. God made a way that we could escape the condemnation of our own sin. The eternal hell that you and I deserve our own sin. Well, as we close this morning, I've used this illustration in various places. I, I probably used it here as well before. But as we think about Christ being our advocate, think of the story about uh, judge, he's on the throne, and a young man came into his courtroom, and and I uh, don't remember the story, what the charges were, but but uh, the judgment came down that this young man would have to pay this this large fine that he had no way of, of affording, or he'd have to spend 30 days in jail. And uh, as the man stood before the judge, the the judge judged it accordingly, said fine or jail. And after he banged his gavel and made the ruling, he stepped down from the from the bench, took off his judge's robe, went over to the clerk, and he paid this young man's fine. He turned to the young man, and he said, you're free to go. The young man walked out the door, and the clerk looked at the judge and says, what in the world possessed you to do that? The judge said, that was my son. <laughs> that was my son. You see, Jesus came from the throne of glory, took off his, his robe of, of glory, if you will, took on human Flesh, why? So he could pay the price so that you and I could be his child. Amen. He paid the price for us that we could never pay. We couldn't afford the, the, the fine. Uh, but, but if we don't receive his forgiveness, we will pay the fine ourselves, won't we? Again, that being eternal help. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes this morning. The invitation, a simple question is simple this morning. We've not, we've not been doing very formal invitations, if you will, as far as coming forward and that sort of thing. We've just kind of been waylaying a few things. But the question is, do you have a blessed hope? Do you have a blessed hope? And if you don't have total assurance of, of salvation in Christ, I encourage you, get that taken care of. You're not going to get to heaven based on what your mom and dad say or based on what they've done in their life. Uh, you get to heaven based on what you do with Christ in your own life. And so what will you do with Jesus? Will you receive him today? If you've never done it, if you've never been a time when you personally prayed and asked his forgiveness and, and called upon Jesus Christ who died for you to forgive you, to save you from your sin, would you do that this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're not going to take a long time, but, and again, I know we're all familiar faces here, but there may still be one in these seats who, who uh, have never made that personal decision in your life. You've never made it personal. Oh, you've heard it, you've understood it, you uh, maybe even believed some of these things or these things, but you've never made it per you never received it for yourself. And so I wonder if there's any you would say, uh, Pastor, I'm just not sure. Would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand, put it right back down? I'll say thank you, put your hand right back down. Heads bowed, eyes closed, please. Say, I'm not sure. Would you please pray for me? All right, as believers, then, if you have a blessed hope, let me ask one final question. We're going to close in prayer. When's the last time you shared that hope? It's, if it's the only hope for mankind, doesn't that mean that we, since we know what the answer is, we know what the hope is, that just may, maybe, just maybe, we ought to let somebody else know? 
lots of ways we can do that. Opportunities, yes, to, to here in church and outreach opportunities, but this is a day-by-day -day thing in our lives. We need to be sharing that hope through tracks, through words, through whatever it is, uh, opportunities God gives us each and every day that cross our paths. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for, again, this another important truth of, of who Christ is, but not just who he is. The Bible declares who he is, but this matter of who is he to us. And by the way, if he is our Lord and our Savior, as we profess to be, we will want to serve him when opportunities arise. When Kids Sunday comes, when, when Bible school comes, when Pearson days come, when opportunities every day come in our lives, in our daily business, opportunities to serve you, we'll jump at those chances if you are truly our Lord and Savior because of that change that you make and are making in our lives. One day you'll complete fully, finally, that work in us. But until then, we're all growing. We're all striving uh, toward that end. But may you continue to do a work in our hearts, and may we allow you to do that work in our hearts this day. No indication by hand, but there's even one here this morning that does not truly uh, know you as Savior, that before they leave these, this room, that they would get that settled with you for eternity. Father, we pray your blessings on these closing moments. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.